The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss that... Very difficult loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going to talk about defense tonight, and here to join me is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. I, I, you know, we've had better weeks Ravens-wise, but uh, Thanksgiving's always fun, so uh, here we are. <laughs> there, uh, I guess that's you can always put some positive holiday spin on it. That's a that's a good thing. Jordan, let's start out by, by telling people where they can talk football with you. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter uh, at Raven Sit Room, and you guys can hear me and my co-host Gabe Ferguson, uh, who talk about Ravens football in the Situation Room. We got a podcast that is up on uh, FilmStudyBaltimore.com. All right, very cool. Let's thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Anyway, want to make sure uh, folks out there know about the know about the product. It comes in an aluminum tall boy can. And, uh, you know, their slogan aside and some of the other things aside, uh, it's a 
it's a good product to try if you have a green streak in you at all. I, w- I would highly recommend it. And stay for the flavors because they've got some good flavors, actually. A uh, nice uh, lime seltzer, uh, a mango flavor that you might really like. Anyway, uh, give it a try and I hope you stay with them. They've certainly been good to us. So let's get back to the game we so badly want to discuss here. Um, you know, This is a game where the offense certainly bears a lot of the shame in terms of the missed red zone opportunities. But I don't think you can let the defense off the hook either because they had their chances in this game. Yeah, this was a frustrating one. And, you know, the the fumble that Campbell forced in the in the fourth quarter on that last drive that they didn't recover was the one that really stuck with me. And Houston was right there. They had their shot at it. They had multiple shots to put this one away and just could not find themselves in those big moments again. You know, we see in the big moments, this team, you know, in the same way as Edwards fumbled the ball, just choking it away in the big moments down the stretch. Yeah, very much reminded me of especially allow a score, immediately fumble, reminded me very much of being at the Giants game and and that misery in the fourth quarter of the multiple turnovers and, and whatnot. So it wasn't quite that bad. The Ravens did make a little bit of a comeback. They tried a couple times to come back and win the game. But we're going to talk about another chance they had um, in this game in a, in a second. But let's let's lay the ones on the defense first because these are all really important. The dropped interception by Stone, I have not heard talked a lot about. It did not appear to touch the hands of the Jags receiver, but in any case, it hit Stone pretty much in the helmet or throat area, high chest. Uh, obviously, very catchable football. He was in a position to tip drill it to himself. Just needs to catch that ball away from his body a little bit to make a clean a clean play on the ball. In fact, that was Geno Stone being Geno Stone, playing a nice loose bracket, actually looking for the overthrow. The overthrow came. He couldn't secure it. Really the only really bad game Geno's had for the Ravens so far this year. Yeah, but... And, and, you know, I, I think that the Jags schematically did a really good job attacking the Ravens' safeties and kind of using scheme to take them out of this game. But I thought... Clark and Stone as a result of what the what the Jags were doing schematically both had pretty bad games were were taken advantage of and really just stayed in what their required obligations were within the defense and that that really on a couple different plays really burned the Ravens yeah I mean you really noticed it on the first long pass down the right sideline that Clark was late getting over on that and and that was a case of Clark had an underneath route responsibility. It's a it's a it's a combination of routes that was particularly effective in that case. And if you're going to hope for one of two things to work out, do you trust your inside linebacker on that on that shallower cross, or do you trust the uh, uh, you know the the multiple Pro Bowl cornerback to cover? I think it was Zay Jones on that play, right? Uh, wasn't it Hardy on the, on the, you're right. Hasty, hasty, hasty. Sorry. Hasty. Great, great name, by the way. Um, and great game from him. So credit to him, but you know what? Peters had a guy underneath him on that play that he had obligation in the cover too, as well. Again, it was just, it was just Mm -hmm. schemed really well to hold Clark where he was and force Peters into some kind of stress. And it became an easy throw. And that play frustrated me probably more than any, because if you go back and watch the play, Peters actually did not stay with Hardy. He goes in expecting Hardy to come mm-hmm. back in to the backfield. He doesn't. And then obviously something was broken at that point. And the Ravens needed to make some kind of change or maybe even call a timeout because they seemed out of sync right in that particular moment. And they still let the play go on. There were a couple different moments in this game where the Ravens were not particularly aggressive about calling timeouts when I thought that they didn't look ready and they let things happen to them when they shouldn't have. 
The Jaguars were certainly wasting plenty of timeouts. I did notice Peters coming up into press coverage a fair amount, and that happened on the second play of the game, right after the sack by Washington. Immediately, and this was an ongoing thing, was allowing them to get out of early down sacks with with plays that still got the first. But right away, Jones was was at the line of scrimmage, completely evaded Peters, though it looked like he was going to try and disrupt the route, uh, got off the line of scrimmage clean, uh, and a little bit of kind of one-two stutter step, and he was gone. And it, right up the seam there for, a, what, about a 25-yard gain, 24-yard gain maybe. Uh, that that was one of the bad plays in this game. But I, I, I kind of want to focus on the plays where if there's any one of these they make, they win the game. Okay, and these are just the ones on defense. Because, you know, in a close game, this often happens, but we're just really talking about the ones that came in the fourth quarter, actually, at this point. <laughs> so it's pretty bad. Uh, so the dropped interception by Stone. Campbell's sack fumble minus 11. You mentioned it. Both Bowser and Houston had a shot at it. Houston was probably a little closer, but they they were each pincers. And then uh, I guess Fortner was the one who actually uh, jumped yep. on the football. Pretty and- lousy game as an offensive lineman, but he, he, he looked uh, he looked good in that. The, and that was, I mean, that, that play would have obviously would have ended the game um, and was a heartbreaker that they didn't recover. I think even more frustrating is what the Ravens defense did on the very next play and rushed four, dropped seven. The Jags only sent three guys out into routes, only sent three guys into routes, into seven guys. And Christian Kirk was wide open in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. They were, it was like they were playing the safeties. 40 yards down the field and like right. your, your cover sink, like 20 yards down the field. I, I it, it made no sense to me. I, I didn't understand it at all. And, and on third, and, it was, it was third and 20 on that play. I think third and right? 21. Yeah. yeah. Third and 21. <laughs> and, and, and they couldn't, it just didn't make any sense to go up 15 yards on that play. If you want to give up nine yards on that play, I'm okay. But your, your, your underneath coverage has to be guarding a midpoint of the sticks, not all the way at the sticks or not even 15 yards downfield. Uh, you know, there were, there were other possibilities of things going right there that would have been fine. And you certainly don't need to be, don't need to be as deep as the safeties were on that play to prevent some sort of a bomb in that situation. I mean, their, their priority is going to be for the first down. It's not going to be, you know, go somewhere deep up the sidelines, but even if it was, you know, you got two safeties, admittedly not the fastest guys, but either one of them is capable of taking a long diagonal route back to to cover one of those deeper routes if that's what ends up showing up. It was, it, it, that was very frustrating. Um it, it wasn't again, it was not one of the plays that lost the game, but it 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 sure didn't need to happen to to bring up a what was it ended up being a fourth and seven or a fourth and eight at that yeah, point. It was the fourth I think it was the fourth and eight after mm-hmm. that play. It was a 16 yard game. That one that, or no I think it was the fourth was and five. The five? Fourth and it was five, the fourth right. and five play. Yeah, that one was probably that combination of plays is the most frustrating to me because I would have brought either Heat after Lawrence. And, you know, you mentioned the bomb over the top. That is not a shot that the Jags really tried to take all game. In fact, the throw that Lawrence was trying to make all game was the throw between the cover two corner and the safety in the back. And he, he was on point. And Trevor Lawrence had a great game. He was on yep. point in throwing it right into that spot. But at no point in the game had they made any attempt to try and throw it over the top or take the top off of the defense in that way. And, and I think that's what it, it just felt out of it felt out of sync for what was in front of them in terms of the gameplay. Right. So that was the fourth and five on the fourth and eight. And I guess that was previously that was just after that was after the stone interception and Humphrey was injured. So third and eight not, failed interception attempt. Fourth and eight comes up. Ball game's on the line again. You got a nine point lead. There's five or six minutes to go, whatever it was. Obviously, if you get the ball back at that point, 
run a couple of minutes off the clock, it's over. They're, they're not, they're not going to come back from that, especially since they've been wasting their timeouts on challenges pretty much the whole game. Uh, then they, then they come back with the, uh, uh, then through the, the through the fourth and eighth play, it was like a 29 yard play down the, down the sideline where he dropped it in again, or what was it exactly? No, it was a, it was a play to the left over the top of Brandon Stevens and Stevens got caught underneath the route and was able to slip behind it. And Lawrence was able to make that same throw. I was talking about all game to the left corner, um, in front of, in front of, I think it was stone, but in front of the safety. I'm I'm looking at a different player. It's Q4844 is what I'm looking at. And that's the fourth and eight. And it was a PR27 over over Peters oh. with Stone late to bracket on the right sideline. So let me look at the fourth and five again, make sure I have the right play there. Because that was like a, a, under a minute or under two minutes left. Yeah, I, I might have that one wrong too. Then. Yeah. So that was the fourth and five was a, a 10-yard play. 10 plus zero to um, uh, Marvin Jones, uh, just past the reach of Stevens. Mm. And Stevens. Oh, I'm thinking of, yeah, I was thinking of the third, the third and six. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the play I was referencing was the third and six on the left side. Yeah. Okay. A- outstanding. Anyway, we both agree. Either of those plays gets made. The game is over again. And then the, 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 the last one is a two point conversion. And, and two point conversions are. Uh, you know, a, a pretty reasonable chance to make them, you know, maybe 50%, but it's the same route they ran that the Ravens never seem to be able to complete. Uh, you know, just a, a, a flat route to the sideline. All he's doing is making space on that side of the field. That's all he's doing. And of course, they went after Stevens, which you would expect in that situation. I thought th- that was a recurring theme of this game that we're going to get to a little later in some depth is is that the, the extra cornerback is killing the Ravens. Just having a third cornerback on the field is killing the Ravens. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the, well, no, I can believe I'm saying it because because I, I kind of knew this was true. But they need Hamilton back to play corner. I mean, they 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 need him back on the field at slot corner, not anywhere deep. He 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 needs to play slot corner for this team because he's the best third corner the Ravens have by far. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of liquid death to the softball game because as our team chugged down liquid death our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field so take liquid death the other team has no clue what you're doing or take it to work we've talked about that many times drag it around your friends at school maybe the carpool lane maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week just take liquid death enjoy it it's ice cold water you're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with your store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yes. I mean, the Ravens would be and are significantly better off with Kyle Hamilton playing slot corner. But it, this is not that hard to do, Ken. That, that, that's what's so aggravating to me. It was dead obvious to me that when they had Humphreys and Peters next to each other on this play on the right side and they motioned 
was it Jones or or whoever it was? Yeah. When they most, it's always Jones because they have two of the Joneses, which is really confusing. Yeah. (laughs) And as soon as they motioned him to the left, I was like, Stevens needs to press him because if he doesn't, they're going to throw it to him and he's going to be wide open. And Mm -hmm. so there needs to be a decision there from the safety over the top. And I think it was Clark is on the left side signals to stone that the motion is coming over to go over and make the cover. And what does Geno Stone do? He comes to the inside and he defends the tight end who is standing between Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, which makes absolutely no help. So he, he's giving extra coverage, triple coverage to a tight end and leaves Brandon Stevens on an island. So all this is to go back and say that, yes, they would have been better off if Kyle Hamilton is able to play in this lot and that's Humphreys over there. But how about when Brandon Stevens is on an island by himself, you give him safety help and you let him press. It's as simple right. as that. And Stevens... Stevens needs to press there because he essentially lets Jones get get him four yards deep. So because it's on the two yard line, they make the catch two yards into the end zone. Stevens has all the right to make as much contact with that receiver before yeah. they even threw that ball in any case at all whatsoever. You can't keep making it once the ball's in the air, and that's kind of the key there. Is that if he if he if he gets flagged while the ball's in the air, then it's going to be trouble. But you're right; you can press him right off the line of scrimmage, and there isn't anything he can do about it. Uh, you can even jam him really hard to make sure he can't retract easily to get to the spot he needs to. Uh, that that would have been even you know even nicer there. But Zay Jones had shown such ability to escape disruption at the line of scrimmage in this game. I think that would have been a a big ask. Now Brandon Stevens is a is a physical corner, but I still think it would have been a kind of a big ask in that situation. Well, and then if that's the case, just just on the devil's advocate side of that, then Marlon Humphrey needs to be the guy playing Zay Jones there. Could be. He is your best press guy, especially Mm -hmm. in the red zone, in those situations, having a phenomenal year. Like, you you get extra help in the slot from your your linebackers no matter what, right? So I get Marlon Humphrey in the slot at the 20-yard line or at the 50-yard line or even at the 10-yard line. But at the two-yard line, there's extra help that you can give Brandon Stevens over the top with a safety there and Marcus Peters on one side and Roquan Smith on the other to help. Why, why in that instance put your best two corners two feet away from each other? It reminds me of the when the Ravens receivers are running routes and they're – standing next right to each on top other. of each other yeah. it's like what, what is the what is the point of putting your best two players like that right next to each other especially once they're in a tight zone or a tight grouping and mm-hmm. even what drove me even more nuts about that is that the jags came out in that formation the ravens called timeout and the jags came out in the exact same formation and the ravens didn't change a thing it's it's frustrating as hell they didn't they didn't even try any of the normal things that's issue they didn't try a rub route pick route whatever you want to call it they didn't try a shovel pass they didn't try any of the other things they didn't run the ball well at all during the day so already you had a pretty good idea that wasn't coming all right so it it made all kinds of sense that this was going to be some sort of a pass most of the options don't work very well against the ravens the fade route although my god i mean they caught every ball that was up high over their heads. I, 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 we're at the game. I, I probably thought four balls in that game were over the receivers' heads, and they still came down with them. And meanwhile, the Ravens are, are bibble bobbling every every ball that's at helmet height or higher, and, and and a bunch that were right on the numbers for that matter. Uh, you know, in some ways that were were totally unacceptable. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up the one on offense though that really kills me because it's the game management one that the Ravens fumble the ball away. So you know what I'm going to say. Well, you you, you go first. <laughs> okay. So the Oliver touchdown, great play. We're happy. Everybody gets up and cheers. Would have been much better if he'd gone down at the one-yard line for the first down. And that would have guaranteed the win. They would have knelt, knelt, kicked. Probably would have been about 15 to 20 seconds left on the clock. Let's, let's make them try and kick a field goal in that situation to win the game instead of us. 
How about that? I didn't even um, think of that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but I didn't yeah. even think I didn't think of that. And I'm automatic playing. game management win. And it's Chicago lost a game to us to last year just on exactly that principle. And and uh, you know, it, it was there's no excuse for it. It, it and it, not only that, Oliver was wide open by what five, ten yards on that play. I mean, there's nobody anywhere near him. I mean, he, he had a disappearing act of a block at the line of scrimmage, a little chip block, goes off, nobody's even following, catches the ball in space. I, I, I can't blame Oliver for it. This is a case where I think you might be, you know, criticisms of Greg Roman would be fair in this case. And here's the reason that if Roman is late getting a play call into the huddle, that doesn't leave extra time for, hey, guys, if anyone breaks free here, go down at the one or go down at the one half yard line so we don't score on this freaking play. Uh, it's, it's just a very obvious kind of a situation. And, and, you know, they'd have been trying. They, I, I think the Jaguars probably would have tried to push him into the end zone. So what? Go down at the one anyway. Do the best you can. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If the referee somehow botched the call, uh, you know, that's life. But, you know, usually it, it should be easy. It would have gotten it right down to two minutes. Clock would have gone right down to two minutes on that play. It went to 202 on the touchdown. So, you know, it would have gone to two minutes. And then they would have had to use both of their timeouts on the first two plays after that, Neil and Neil. Then you go ahead and kick the ball, and you've got maybe maybe twenty seconds left at at, at the most uh, that, that you have to worry about. So I'm just I'm, I, I'm frustrated as hell by that coming up so regularly. I didn't understand why the Ravens didn't, and it didn't end up burning them. But I also didn't understand why they didn't kick it short on the ensuing kickoff either, because that would have stopped the clock in, or that would have burned the two minute warning. Yeah. And again, it didn't end up having an effect on the game, but. Ultimately, like these are these no, are it did. easy. Well, they threw an incompletion on the very on that play. So what is they, they got the sacked and they got a they got a it was, got it a was incomplete. The first play was incomplete. The second play was the sack. Third play was the the big conversion to like third and whatever. Good point. Okay, so you're saying but, because it was that specific play is the only extra one you got. But that's besides the point. It's still yeah. poor clock management, right? Like, like just because the outcome, like, like because you rolled the dice, you know, because you rolled a twelve, right? <laughs> when you bet on two sixes, doesn't mean that it was a smart <laughs> bet, right? So, like, yeah, that's, you know, it's funny that that exact example should come up between <laughs> us having played craps together before. But yes, <laughs> the, the play I thought you were going to say though, the one that drove me crazy was the the fourth, like the fourth down conversion where Lamar fumbled the ball, which right. was the exact same play call that they called on the. Th- the short third conversion and it took them 20 seconds to get it in. And there was 45 seconds before the refs even spotted the ball. So there was probably a minute and a half of real time from when the Ravens knew that there was a possibility that they were going to be short to when they actually snapped the ball. And the best that they could do was the exact same play call that they called earlier. That is some class a Madden bullshit. Yeah. They, they, uh, they did not do a good job with, with, uh, uh, mixing it up. They need to find some additional ways. Uh, I mean, they are huge and, and lining up three guys on the right side now seem to be their, their play. In fact, they lined up in the same kind of three tight ends, right. And it was the exact same, like, like positioning of the players. It wasn't even like three wide. It was, you know, staggered three bunch, bunch tight ends, right. If you want to call it that. It was the exact yeah. same play. <laughs> exactly. It drove me yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I, the other, I, I also, even though it was only a third down place, so there's really less risk on it. It doesn't really make it a better play. I didn't like bringing Tyler Huntley on the field. I didn't think that gave the Ravens any additional advantage on that play to have an observer on the field. It's like having a, a line monitor. What's, how is he helping you? <laughs> 
the 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 ravens were outclassed from a strategic and scheme perspective in this game by probably the biggest margin of a game that i can remember in a really really long time and there were some quality performances from the defensive line for example played yes. fantastic in this game lamar played fantastic in this game um and those performances were flat out wasted because they were not ready for this game and i don't know what it is about jacksonville but baltimore cannot apparently go to florida Whoa. and get it together i mean if if you thought this was going to be a super easy game you really had had the wrong idea anyway because I, first, as when I first saw the Jacksonville injury report, I said, "Uh oh, you know, no injuries to report at this time during the season." You know, I, we had Laurie Fitzpatrick on. She was talking about how the Jaguars got to be in the top five of injury luck in the entire NFL. No, they they got to be number one with a report like that this time of year. They, they like the the biggest guy they've lost is Ben Barch, an offensive lineman who's not very good. I mean, it's you know. It, they have no idea what an injury is <laughs> you know, on, the, on that team. Um, and, and the, uh, you know, then they come in after the buy, a problem with, with scheduling that I continually complain about. So I'm not going to do it again on this show, I promise. But I just, it's, it's complete crap. The NFL cannot get their act together on that. Um, you know, maybe the Ravens have some good injury news coming out of this game. So they've got JK returning to practice, they say this week. Probably limited, 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 if I had to guess. Probably not, uh, uh, you know, going to be back uh, for this next game. Um, they certainly could use another running back, it appears to me right now. I think, I, I don't know where, where are you on Kenyon Drake as far as his uh, activation still being a certainty if J.K. were to come back? Oh, I, I think it's it's not certain at all. I mean, Kenyon is fantastic in the sense that if it is blocked, what is blocked for him, he picks up. Mm -hmm. um and does exceptionally well and so in in some ways that makes him at times and especially in games when the ravens run game has it going a really good fit that's where yeah. you know he had the, a couple big games and a couple big moments but you know there were more than a couple runs in this game that gus edwards made that a guy like drake just can't make um he doesn't have the vision he doesn't have the patience he doesn't have the power, power. like the touchdown yeah. that we saw you know um and so you know and jk brings all those things to the table as well i think i mean and we all i mean we all cannot wait to have jk dobbins and gus edwards be the only two guys that are touching the ball out of the backfield and you know justice hill shows it in spurts and then justice hill vanishes at times um and just doesn't have it and tries to do too much when when he really just needs to take what's in front of him. So, you know, Drake is a take it or leave it for me. Um, you know, and they, they just gotta, they gotta keep powering through and get, get the guys that they know are difference makers healthy. And, and I, it could go a long way. I, I would, I would say that I have a little more um, faith in Hill. I, I really like him out of sidecar to, to stretch the line of scrimmage with speed. Uh, they're, they're doing basically the same things to stretch line of scrimmage, which I know is something that drives you nuts from our discussion already tonight is that, you know, you don't like to see the same play call. Well, jet motion Duvernay one way, counter the other, Jackson up the middle. If if that's all you got, you, you got to mix that up with some other combinations of things. You got to occasionally show that Robinson can be the guy. You got to occasionally, uh, you know, be ready to use Hill in a similar capacity. These Hill draws really worked well. Just let the let the play develop a little bit. Um, and 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 see if you can get a get something going. They certainly were able to do that with Lamar. I don't think that's such a terrible idea with with um, with Justice Hill either. So anyway, I'd like to see him ready. I think we're we're all frustrated with the fact that Kohler and Ajabo now have what four combined weeks or something of being available, and and neither has been activated yet. 
And you got some guys at the end of the roster who do not seem to be as important to this team um, in terms of taking up a game day spot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, there, there is literally it's I, I mean, I get with a Jabo, at least right now, I think I can understand the Ravens feel confident in what they're getting from outside linebacker enough so that they're leaving OA out of plays in exchange for Pierre Paul for whatever reason. I, yeah. I still don't understand it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Even with what we're seeing from OA on the field, it might not be showing up on the stab sheet, but his physical ability um, and ability to be a game breaker on any given play. I can't understand why you would leave that on the sideline for Pierre Paul, but all that being said, I can understand why Ajabo doesn't in a week where likely goes down and you, they've obviously prepared. I don't think the Ravens for the first 35 or 40 plays of this game didn't have two running backs or two tight ends on the field. They were in 21 or 12 or heavier on mm -hmm. a huge chunk of the start of this game. If that's the approach how on earth is Kolar not active in this game? Right. It, it, it just it baffles me. So there's something, obviously, that is not ready. I mean, I'm happy that they haven't lost the year developmentally, that they're, that they're getting a little bit of playing time. But I talk about this every once in a while, maybe every two or three shows. But they need to be able to fail forward, both these guys. They need to be able to get some actual NFL playing time in this year. You know, And I'd like it to be four or five games. But if it's three games, you know, maybe we take that. And... Uh, just take away what they can into 2023 out of that. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to face guys who are very different from what they're facing in practice. Neither of them has played any preseason football. That's right, right? No, neither of them, Kolar did not, right? And Ajabo certainly hasn't. So neither of them has played against an NFL player in anger. Uh, you know, so far, they both need to experience that. They both need to get on the field and try and do some of the things that they they did in college and, and some new things too, and see what works and see what doesn't maybe, or, or at least get the first little taste of whether those things are going to work. Well, and if it takes Roman, for example, this long to adjust to a guy, right? Isaiah likely is a good example to me, a guy that really showed up in the preseason, right? The example of playing against other players, at least at somewhat of an NFL caliber was showcased and did tremendously well. It took the Ravens a solid six or seven weeks before they figured yeah. out how to use Isaiah likely, which let, let's leave that aside. That's its own problem, but let's leave that aside. If it's going to take six or seven weeks to figure out how to get what Kolar is good at and how to use him appropriately, you have got to get him into this game, right? You've got to get him into the rotation now. Well, I, I, I agree with that. First of all, I will say in likely's case that I think you, you need to put some of the burden on likely is he needed to learn how to play football. And, and in terms of run blocking, he was holding all the time in the preseason. He didn't look good in the early season. They didn't even have him out there on run plays because of that. And so obviously if, if you're at that point and you, and you haven't picked up the blocking end of the game, you're already missing a big part. And then all of a sudden he's about the best the Ravens have as a run blocker for a couple of weeks in there. He, he looked absolutely terrific. He's all over our notes in terms of, of making good run blocks. And then, uh, you know, he's, he, uh, Andrews came back and likely lost a lot of his snaps back to Andrews when that happened. And, and that's unfortunate because I think, you know, having the, the two threats on the field at the same time is something you can still do. I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't see the problem. You, you can replace some Ricard snaps. You can replace some Boyle snaps as you need to, but, but there's other ways you can, you can still make use of that. And, uh, it's just a shame. It's, it's something that, that he was obviously doing well. And the, the, 
kind of things, a lot of the plays they were running this week and, and, and in previous weeks too, for that matter, little wide receiver screens, any kind of jet motion, that kind of thing. That's a play likely can really help you with likely lined up as an X receiver or likely lined up on the, on the side that the run is going to, whether it's slot or outside, um, can help you a lot in terms of making an important block against a corner or a safety, a linebacker that you want to seal off, whoever it might be. And, uh, and that's a shame that they, they can't figure out how to get him in for more plays. Yeah, well, you know, I think the big return is Marcus Williams. I, I think you yeah. saw in this game how teams can take advantage of Chuck Clark's lack of athleticism from kind of a safety and and speed perspective and ability to kind of read those plays in the same way a free safety might. Um, and, and where Geno Stone was just a little bit behind the curve. Marcus Williams would have made, I think, all the difference in this game um, and, and probably been really helpful on some of those corner throws into the, those tight windows that Trevor Lawrence was making. Um, you know, I don't think he drops the interception that Geno Stone drops. I think he, he probably has a much bigger outside impact on this game overall. Um, and so his return, I think, will be along with Hamilton's, you know, whenever that is going to be, you know, and he was listed as questionable for this game to begin with, you know, for whatever that's worth, um, you know, will be huge for this defense. He he was traveling with the team. He was on yep. the sideline and you can't tell anything from this, but I so one of the plays later in the game, he, he was excited about it, appeared to be moving around okay on the sidelines. We don't know what he's got in terms of brace underneath his sweats or whatever, but it, but it looked, you know, I, 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 I looked at him there and I said, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll be back in another week or two. That would be, you know, I think pretty good at this point. Agreed. Um, I, I, I don't, the guy I don't want to beat on too badly is Geno Stone because I don't know what the team would have done without Geno Stone in the weeks since Marcus Williams' injury, other than this one. Um, he's been one of the Ravens' best players defensively, I think, during that time. Um, this was his first really bad game of the year. Uh, everybody's entitled to a mulligan. We had a lot of guys, including some offensive linemen who had one in this game who hadn't had many mulligans in the entire year. And, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is one where, um, it's, it's really a shame that he was one of many players that cost the Ravens the game with the, with the dropped interception, but he was just one of many. He wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it, 12 different guys probably had a chance to make a play that would have won the Ravens this, this game. Uh, more than that, if you include Tucker kicking it from 67. And, you know, I thought that was I thought it was good. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, to say that you're not as good as Marcus Williams is not an insult to any right. player in the NFL or any safety in the NFL. Only maybe a, a very few um, total. So, right. I, you know, and I like Geno Stone and he's a guy that I liked coming out of, you know, I, I remember watching Ipanisa, watching Iowa's film for Ipanisa and walking away from that game saying Geno Stone's a guy that I think can make it in the NFL. So I, I'm with you there. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, the Ravens have less to probably concern themselves with about getting a top seed now. Uh, they also have to probably concern themselves a little bit with Cincinnati. Uh, it, it may make it easier to decide who we're rooting for in the Kansas City, Cincinnati or the Buffalo, Cincinnati games. Uh, but this is certainly uh, uh, still a very tough loss to eat um, on, under any circumstances. Just the, the chance of getting... To me, a tie in this situation going into what they were from Jacksonville was to get the two seed. Uh, that would have meant, you know, a guarantee of two home games in the playoffs. It'd just be huge. Um, and it's, it's got, yeah, you might have to go to Buffalo. You might have to go to Kansas City for the AFC championship. You probably have to go to Kansas City or nowhere for the AFC championship because you might get the one seed, frankly, if you, if you, if you win this game, uh, and you keep winning. Um, but, but now, you know, that seems to be out. The three seed is not much better than the four seed. It's definitely a distinct drop down. And 
Um, a lot of potholes can occur with having to play a, um, well, I guess a good wild card team would still make a matchup against a two seed pretty good, but they're going to have to play somebody pretty good in that second round. And it probably means Buffalo uh, in Buffalo, which would be, a, you know, obviously for, for weather, for, you know, the opposing fans, for anything you want to call it, you don't want to go there. Um, anyway, I, I don't, I don't mean that too badly, but, the, but we did have some Buffalo fans sit next to us who gave us a, gave us a problem this uh, last time they were here. So I know lots of Buffalo fans are nice people. So. Yeah. It, it's, you know, the nice part is they can continue to control their own destiny for the playoffs. They don't need help. They just have mm-hmm. to keep winning the games that are in front of them. You know, I, you know, and Gabe had said to me when Tennessee had lost to Cincinnati, he was upset. And this is when the Ravens were up by nine when that happened because of the because of the delay. I said, "Oh no, that's a good thing because you know Kansas or Cincinnati's got the harder schedule down the stretch here. You know, Tennessee is less of a threat now as you know a potential competitor mm-hmm. for seeding, and maybe I jinxed it." <laughs> well, the three the three versus the four seed is is just not a big difference. So I don't Tennessee might they might compete for the for the two seed. If, yeah. if, if you're concerned about that, then yeah, be concerned about Tennessee because they, I think their schedule is actually pretty easy. They, they, right. Play I, I mean, division they, a lot. they would have been in a situation where potentially, and you know, who knows, I like, you know, but they had a, could have won out a lot more easily than Cincinnati, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that made them more of a threat, at least before the Ravens lost this game. Right. <laughs> All right. So we move on. Uh, some general thoughts. Lawrence uh, really getting rid of the ball quickly in this game, muted the Ravens pass rush. They didn't try and do everything. We'll get to that in, in, in part two of this, but um, it really negated a lot of, of what's quality of the Ravens. It seems, seems strange to say that, you know, when the Ravens get four sacks in a game, but they didn't get a lot of pressure in this game uh, of, of uh, I think it was 41 total dropbacks. They only got 12 pressures. So less than 30%. And, and that was because Lawrence was really getting the ball out quickly. And generally speaking, he was on target when he was off target. He wasn't off target by much, but, but generally speaking, he was on target. Yeah. I, I was frustrated by the Ravens lack of willingness to kind of go to man in some degree during this game, they played a lot of zone. And so I don't know if that's because they were worried that, you know, Trevor Lawrence's ability to kind of, if they were in man to run the ball a little bit um, was going to take advantage of that. But he, he has a tremendous arm. Um, mm-hmm. and tremendous velocity on his throws. And so whenever there was a window, he was able to zip it in there. And there were really was even in a really good zone. And in the same way that, you know, guys like Josh Allen can be really dangerous because they can throw it with so much heat. Um, and even Flacco in kind of like his prime, you know, best of days could really zip it in there. You know, it's a lot harder to play zone against those guys. And the Ravens just felt like they didn't want to make that adjustment for whatever reason. Yeah, the, the throw I was most impressed on was one he didn't complete. It was the stone near interception. He He's forced from the pocket left. My immediate reaction is, yeah, got him now kind of thing. Because right-handed quarterback rolling left. And he's, a, you know, a, an intermediate guy in terms of his scrambling ability. But he's not one of the top guys in terms of that. He's not Mahomes. He's not Jackson. He's not, you know, Russell Wilson of eight years ago. We'll say now. But he's not He's not one of the top guys. He's he's a guy who who can do it as a second option and to have him running left in that situation, I thought, you know, there's just no chance he's going to get a decent throw off. And then not only is he right by the sidelines and I I even thought he went out of bounds and it must've been a sack. The ball is all of a sudden out of his hand, like a rocket down the field. It just went over the hands, through the hands or whatever of the intended receiver there. I don't remember which Jones that was, but I think it was one of the Joneses. And then 
uh, right into the throat slash neck area of stone where it obviously couldn't be caught because that's way out of the you know normal catchable radius for a human being. Just for the Ravens. Yeah, well, it was it was a shame. So, so you know, it was a missed opportunity. We don't need to beat on him any more than I, than I have any. But that was the throw that really impressed me about Lawrence. Every, every all the other throws really on target. Um, and and when he was off, you know, a couple t- one time on the right, it was because Humphrey kind of I think retracted the throw, uh, made him throw at a slightly different arm angle to try and get it around him. And and you know, most of the throws just right on. I, I thought his throws into that cover two hole were the ones that impressed yeah. me the most. I, those require a balance of finesse and touch along with enough speed on them that the both players can't break on the ball. And they're, they're not, it's not a throw that every quarterback in the NFL can make um, right. quite frankly. And so those were the ones and, and he did it consistently in this game um, because the Ravens just decided that he couldn't do it consistently. And he just kept doing it <laughs> all game long. It's it's a great point. If you're an artillery shell quarterback, if if that if that kind of throw requires an artillery shell, you can't. Um, and 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 the coverage is cover two, which the Ravens played a lot of quarters in this game. Uh, you you are in a position where that throw really should not beat you defensively. You you it 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 that should be exactly what you're good at stopping it, and you've got to have just the right arm to to zip that ball in there. And and you mentioned the fact, but they he really did. Um, whether it was him baiting out Clark or, or Clark outthinking himself or Clark just not figuring correctly or Clark guessing wrong. It could have been a lot of things could have been Clark took himself out of that first play down the right sideline. Um, the, the one to hasty that went for however far away. It was a touchdown. It was a touchdown. A touchdown. Yeah. yeah. I went all the way in. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, this was not a game where the Ravens had a lot of trouble on third down. And, uh, you know, nine consecutive games now, they had a 40% plus conversion rate up third down, which is amazing. By far the club record. Um, they also held the Jaguars to four of 13 on third down, which is the fifth straight game they've held the opponent under 31%. And I didn't just pick 31% because it was 30.8% this game. It was 30.8% in a game before, too. So, it was, you know, it was the, that or lower than than uh, these last five games. So, uh, I... It, it wasn't failures on third down. It was failures on fourth down. They had a great fourth down stop, but then they had, you know, two lousy fourth quarter, fourth and five and fourth and eight conversions that that either one of them stopped wins the game. Yeah. And, you know, on offense and, and you know, the drops were, were brutal in this regard because they really unwound, you know, they unwound what the Ravens were trying to do on offense. They stopped the clock regularly. I mean, for the way the Ravens and the style that this offense likes to run um, and the Ravens put up a decent number of yards, a decent number of first downs in this game total, mm-hmm. but the drops just, just kind of killed this, the machine that is what the Ravens try and operate on offense. This is also the problem that people have with the Ravens offense, which is that if there is a slight kink in the broader machine or what they're trying to attempt to do, it can unravel the entire game. And so you can have a performance like this where the third down defense is exceptional, where you still get two turnovers over the course of the game and you still ultimately don't get a good enough performance overall from your defense. And and that's why, well, that's a problem. <laughs> yes. Well, I, 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 I guess I understand the frustration there. I think all offenses and we, we tend to micro inspect take an electron microscope to to the Ravens own problems but offense in general is down in the NFL this season the Ravens are far above average as an offensive team in the NFL I mean there's 
26 other teams probably out there that are saying, want to trade? You know, <laughs> and the fact of the matter is the Ravens have a fairly efficient offense. And and it, more than that, it's it's a good uh, pound out first downs offense that should give you the kind of snap control you want, certainly against weaker opponents. They've, they've done it even against good opponents so far. And, you know, for all of the crap about the Ravens, they've never trailed by more than a score this year. They, you know, they've led every game by at least nine points. There's only four, uh, three other teams in NFL history that have ever done that. Uh, it's just, you know, it, they are frustrating as hell that they're seven and four and the other three teams that did it were 11 and 0. But, you know, the, it's, uh, this is a team that, that, you know, stop beating on your home team about how bad their offense is when they're playing with one arm tied behind their back without Bateman, without, you know, Ronnie Stanley in there. And it's still a very good offense with Lamar. You know, they, I, I mean, they are. Everything that you just said is true. But the difference is if you look, if all you're looking at is the performance of how the other NFL teams have done it, then yes. But if what you're looking at is the outcome of what could have happened for this team and what they have left on the table, that gap is huge. The Ravens would, yes. the Ravens, if they capitalized on everything that they've had on the table, would be better than the 2019 offense that we saw. That, that's how good the upside of what they put on the field this year could have been even with the injuries. So, I mean, injuries aside, leave all that outside of it. So it's not, it's not a measure of, okay, like even if you're the best at whatever you're doing in the world, if you could be 50% better than that, then it's a disappointing when you're, when you're not capitalizing on that potential. Um, And that's the part that frustrates me. I'm not upset with the outcome that we've had, but the defense could not show up to the rest of the, for any of the games this year. And the offense should have won all of them. Uh, <laughs> a, a slight exaggeration, but I understand what your what your feelings or what your emotions are here in, in, in terms of saying that. I, I also think people have, while the 2019 team was unbelievably great and underappreciated in its historic context, I think also there's a tendency to think of that team as being absolutely flawless. And the thing that ended up being flawless about them, more or less, was the regular season record that they went 14 and two, that they, you know, won 12 straight after going two and two, and then they fixed everything on defense. And all of a sudden they were a super team. The Ravens this year are still have not proven to me that they're as good as the 2019 team was on defense, but, but they could be. And I think they still could be. Um, the, the, the 2019 offense, I don't think will be matched. I still think the offensive line was significantly better from the 2019 team and that that Jackson is obviously having a far better year, but they also had probably some better other pieces. They didn't quite have the group of tight ends this team does now, but they had a, they had a really solid group with with Boyle and Andrews there and Hurst um, at at that time. They obviously still had Ricard. They weren't using him exactly the same way. It's just the the offensive line is, is a is a fairly substantive difference, and the and the difference in Lamar's play is also substantive. Yeah. The Raven, the Ravens' ability to be effective and empty in 2019 was was their difference maker. That it, it was it was the game breaker when the run game wasn't picking up the first downs that they needed. They could go to empty, and it was it was magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is not that certainly hasn't happened this year. But they, they're just uh, this is a game that the Ravens should have had 45 or 50 points. Uh, it, it's <laughs> they were there. Yeah, it's. I, I... You know, is is it reasonable to say that? Because all teams blow opportunities, but if they if they do score twice more when they're in the red zone, they pick up another eight points, and that would have certainly won the game, uh, at at the very least. So, you know, thirty five, sure. 
not not unreasonable. 34, not unreasonable, and certainly would have been enough to win the game. But uh, um, yeah, I, I just I I I. I I don't like to exaggerate on this thing. Let's move on to the next topic. Okay. So we'll just uh, <laughs> anyway. I, I, Tra- Travis Etienne was somebody who, um, you know, we've we've now run into I don't know how many running backs this year the Ravens have that are on a hot streak. Carolina had run for you know hundred I want to say one hundred and thirty two yards a game for five games or something, or maybe it was one hundred and fifty. No, I think it was one hundred sixty. It was eight hundred yards over five games. Ravens shut them down. Saquon Barkley was you know godlike. In his previous games, Raven shut him down. Um, the uh, you know obviously what they did to Etienne in this game was not only great in terms of shutting down the run game generally, but they knocked Etienne right right out of the game on the first uh, second drive, second drive. And and Carolina did it again the fo- the following week. So mm-hmm. this current week against Denver, who was shutting everybody else down as well. Um, so not just not just a hot streak kind of leading up to that, but a continued effectiveness on the ground that this Ravens defensive line was completely shut down. Yeah. And I, that that's one of the underappreciated groups here is the defensive line. We're going to talk about this a little bit in packages, but the Ravens, when they're allowed to put on their base defense on the field, you are just doing them a favor. And if you're the offense in the national football league, if you're an offensive coordinator, all you got to do is put three wide receivers on the field and the Ravens cannot play their base defense. They cannot do it. So they have to put a, th- a third corner on the field and it's going to be somebody that's not nearly as good as their third defensive lineman. I can tell you what that, that's the case. And they're going to leave two inside linebackers. So those guys are there every play. They're going to have two outside linebackers on every play. But um, that, that third, the nickel corner they put in or the outside corner that, that, re- that bumps Humphrey inside is not going to be as good a player as that third defensive lineman because all their in- interior linemen have been pretty damn good. Yeah, that, I mean, and Broderick Washington, I think, in particular, is just a guy that has really, you know, I, I think there was a lot of concern while Michael Pierce got hurt that they weren't going to be as effective as a defensive line unit. And he has just, you know, played exceptionally well, and not just in this game, but over the balance of the season to play above kind of the where he is on the depth chart. I've been really impressed. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree, too. I think he was one of my favorites from this game. I It was down to... Uh, whether or not to put him or Bowser on for my third kind of star treatment play. I just should have done the notes from both of them because Washington had a ton in this game and uh, and really looked great. I mean, it was, it was a, he, he doesn't, he's not one of the players who's always on the list too. Like Campbell's always on the list and I'd, I'd really rather have Washington, you know, replace him once in a while. And uh, it's great to see him get that first sack. It's, uh, uh, I, I, I don't actually know if that was his first sack of the season, but it was great to see him get the sack on the first play is what I mean. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about here? Uh, Zay Jones was just pretty much their entire offense. Uh, 11 catches, seven first downs. He had the two point conversion. He had a, uh, did he have a touchdown? I don't know if he did. Um, I don't think he did. Cause that was, what was it? It was Marvin Jones. It's, it, it is genuinely hard to distinguish yes. if they have the same name. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're, I think it was hasty and Marvin Jones had two of the touchdowns and I don't know who had the third. I don't think they got it on the ground. So uh, it was probably a, a a pass of some sort, um, but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll we can look that up while we're uh, while we're waiting on the second show here. Uh, but the seven first downs were the real problem with Zay Jones. The, the fact that he dug him out of a hole any number of times uh, after a big first down play by the Ravens was was continually frustrating, and he was a big matchup problem for for Marcus Peters in this game. Yeah, Marcus Peters didn't have a great game, and and they it seemed like at least from my take on this and I would have to watch again, but it seemed like when the Jags felt like the Ravens were in cover two, that's when they were going after Peters. 
They felt like they felt like he was going to be indecisive about his ability to either come in or go back and wouldn't know what to do, create a little like high low situation for him in there and just let Lawrence get after him. I get that that makes it I get that Peters had a bad game, but that the Ravens have to adjust in those situations. There were too many throws where Peters was kind of the cloud flat in a cover two um, and was just not going to be able to be successful because he was going to have to pick to defend one guy. And he's not going to be able to stop hasty coming out of the backfield on, on a flat route. If he gives him four yards of momentum. Yeah. Not that that's not that that really should be his job. I mean, there should be an inside linebacker there who hopefully can, can be the guy on that. Um, and we saw that not happen once in this game, but anyway, yeah, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, um, what, what my problem with Peters wasn't that he was indecisive in this game. Cause I don't really even consider that a Marcus Peters frequently displayed trait. I thought he did some things well, by the way, I really want to point this out. Marcus Peters rewatched the, just the broadcast video because he is motioning a lot in terms of what's happening pre-snap. And he's picking up on things, and you can tell he understands what's going to happen. In fact, the second play of the game, which was that 24-yard completion to Jones, he actually was was signaling behind himself before the play, indicating, you know, you got me on this because I'm going up to play press coverage here. I think I can take something away. And I don't know what he got back from Clark. I really don't know. But Clark was the guy on that side of the field, and obviously it wasn't set up. Peters didn't go ballistic on him after the play. So I got to assume it wasn't completely unexpected what happened. But the fact that he went up to effectively get in a press spot against him and then did not make contact at the line of scrimmage really kind of bothered me. It bothered me that that Jones was able to release so easily into so large and open space. And of course, Lawrence you know, picked it up right away and, and pitch and catch. I wonder if Peters is still not fully 100%. His physicality has not been the same through the balance of games. His like the way because he's a tenacious and just his competitiveness is exceptional for any player in the NFL. I think that that's why he's been why he's been kind of booted off other teams or been willing teams have been willing to let him go because, you know, he's a little too much. Um, but we haven't seen that on the field from him. There have been a handful of instances this year where it has looked like he's I wouldn't call it given up but known he's been beaten and doesn't kind of play through it in the way that I feel like we've seen Peters over the last couple of years in Baltimore. Um, and so that just makes me wonder whether or not he's still nursing a little bit on the knee and it's not a full go 100% all the way. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's conceivable. We, we've probably got to give some allowance for time here at some point. I mean, he's, he's not a young, how old is, is he right now? I gotta, gotta get this right. So he's, He'll turn 30 in January. Um, it's not the perfect age to be a cornerback. It probably is not the perfect age to start a new contract for a cornerback. So the Ravens are going to have to think very carefully about that before they extend him. The indications to me are from really from last year, uh, from 2021, when they're in season, had options to A, extend him and really cut his cap, or B, push his cap from last year into this year. Um, they didn't really want to do that. And they showed, they, they dragged their feet on a complete, I don't even know if they did it in the end, if they did it for, with, with part of that, um, uh, that money by the end of the year. But uh, they did not, also did not extend him, obviously. And they probably wanted to see what he had left on the field this year after the injury. And then, you know, he, he comes back. I, I don't think he's playing badly overall. I think he's made some great plays for the Ravens this year. I think he's, he's, he's playing fine. It's just, 
I don't know that I want to sign him for $45 million for three years at this point. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going to have to make a choice. I, I don't think, you know, with the way he's played this year, it'll be tough for him to get that market. I, I would like for the Ravens to bring him back. I think Kyle Hamilton might complicate that a little bit. I've long thought that Peters could make a fantastic safety. Yeah. Um, and the idea of Peters and Marcus Williams being your two safeties is a tantalizing, you know, especially in the way that, that you know, the passing game is shifted in the NFL is just a tantalizing combination. Um, so I could also see the Ravens at the right price point, being able to bring him back and adjust his position or keep him around and be able to move him around or whatever that might look like. Well, the Ravens made Deion Sanders a, a, a safety at the end of his career. I, I, I don't know how long he's got until then. Um, they, what The guy they didn't do it for was Chris McAllister. And Chris McAllister said, what are you talking about? I've got eight years left in this league, four more at corner and then four at safety. And I think he was about two years from being done when he when he made that comment. Uh, it, was, it was basically about 2007. And then in 2008, Harbaugh benched him for the sixth game. And at Miami, and and they they turned the season around at that point when they were two and three going into that game, and uh, McAllister was not part of the team uh, really after that. And he did play against some for the Ravens that year. They needed him, and 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 then he uh, you know left and went to the Saints. I guess I don't remember how long he lasted there before he was gone. But uh, but I think cornerbacks have a longer impression of how long they're still going to be around, obviously, than, than, than some other positions. But it would be nice if Peters could play some safety. And I, I would say the time is now or never. Yeah. Well, the, his like you were saying earlier, his command of the field, his ability to know what's going on, his, what he sees on tape yeah. is, you know, it, it, his athleticism is impressive um, in its own right. But, but th- he brings a lot more to the table. And I think McAllister was always just physically menacing and physically more capable than the guy he was playing against. And that's what made him good. I would say that's that's not the case for Marcus Peters, that he's not physically overwhelming like that. Right. Uh, that's definitely true. I, um, and and I, he's shown some physicality against the run this year, even in this game, making a sack on the wide receiver. Who do you, who, the wide receiver should be sacked out by about the 15 yard line in one of these games. You remember it was against the yeah, Bengals? It was, I, I know the play you're talking about. I can't remember yeah. the game. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the, 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 the plays we've seen so far this year, I, 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 you know, he's, he hasn't been Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey is a ro- unmovable oh, rock. Yeah, when when you see him, but uh, but I thought Peters actually has been fairly physical. It's just the, the problem has been speed. It's been you know he's getting he's getting beaten to the spot, um, and he's not able to do the same kind of Ike Taylor tricks along the sideline that we've seen from you know some bigger, more physical corners in the past who've, who've, who've uh, played for the Ravens. Jimmy Smith comes to mind as a guy who would who would do that. Uh, anyway, as soon as the Humphrey injury happened, the Ravens were really challenged in the secondary. Um, and that showed up very much on the rest of that drive, which was a, which was a darn shame. Wasn't the Ravens only problem though. And I want to get into this a little bit because there were way too many missed tackles in this game. And most of them happened at inside linebacker, um, over, over commitment, you know, from both players Mm -hmm. And, and, so I, the one was, the, you know, Patrick Queen has played so well yes. the last like four weeks, four or five weeks, maybe even a little bit longer than that. He's played so well. Um, and I don't know what it was about this game, but like the one play, it was a passing play to the running back. I think it was hasty. Yeah. He's to the left of Lawrence. And for whatever reason, and it's a passing play and it wasn't even play action. So there wasn't even anything sucking Queen up to the line of scrimmage. Queen comes all the way 
basically between the guard and tackle gets lost in traffic and hasty sees it and just bolts right and there's no way that that queen could follow him and now he may have already been he may have already been designed to be doing that um but it took prime advantage of him and then queen was so late getting to the spot he overcommitted easy turns into like i think a 12 or 13 yard game Mm -hmm. that that was that was the worst probably of the of the plays um, yeah, I, I, I basically, I'm going to repeat some of the things you just said, because over the last five games, Queen had made either 38 of 39 or 39 out of 39 tackles. I have them for one miss. Uh, PFF has them for one miss. PFR has them for zero misses over that time. Uh, any way you cut it, a two and a half percent miss tackle rate is just fine. And we would be on cloud nine with that. If Patrick Queen was at that level, I actually thought the chance of him regressing was low um, but he did some things in this game which show that the, the, the problems are not completely ironed out. Now, the good thing was the missed tackle, he had one missed tackle in the backfield that was a retracking of the running back slip off play. That's okay. That I don't, I, it's not even that serious a play. But he had four missed tackles as I count them in this game. And if you want to look at them, right, get a pen ready really quick because they're Q2, 337. Uh, and that was a missed tackle at 10. So that's a potentially dangerous one. Q2, 259, a missed tackle at two on what ended up only being a four-yard run. So not too bad a play in terms of the result there, but still not what you want. Q3, 751, a missed tackle at three, but that retracted the running back. Roquan Smith came right in and, and did it. If you can turn the running back, that's fine to miss a tackle on a, on a play like that. So no problem with that. And then I had all these highlighted here. Where's my fourth one here? Uh, there it is. A Q4, 728. Um, that was the one to Hasty. That was a, a PR9 of minus 3 plus 12 on the right sideline. And he had a missed tackle at two yards. Very late to diagnose on that play. Took one step wrong, as I've, as I've noted it here. And then and you've, you've told the story similarly, but not exactly the same. And, and, uh, and then he ran after, but it was, you know, he's not going to catch a running back um, easily doing that. And then when he got over there, obviously he's too late over in the play and, and Hasty got right by him. So Roquan Smith was not a lot better. I have him for three missed tackles in this game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, 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 a bad display from the, the two guys that you really thought had the defense operating at a high level together uh, in this one particular game. So hopefully it's a mulligan. They're, they're each entitled to one. And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully Queen gets right back on track with where he was in, in the next game. They have been playing so well collectively as a unit. And I think that's probably the most frustrating part that it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, and maybe something popped up on tape, you know, because I think, I think at least what happened for the first couple games that Smith came back. And again, I have not watched closely enough. So <laughs> this is uneducated in, in kind of my postulation, but the queen, you know, the Ravens were taking advantage of the fact that they knew the teams were coming to try and block Roquan Smith and that queen was able to be kind of that cleanup guy in those situations. And they were able to use that really effectively. And so a team that sees that on film and uses an approach to try and attack that and then isolate that is probably going to be able to do that effectively and maybe catch the Ravens off balance. And so in that sense, I hopefully agree with you that the Ravens can adjust to that and know what that means or what that looks like when they see it the next time. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I am afraid the, the Jaguars failed to pick up on some things that had been very successful against the Ravens, but they they had the right guy at quarterback who throws laser beams, throws, is unafraid of throwing to the outside, 
accuracy is at such a level that he, he's rarely going to make the kind of miss that's really going to cause a problem for an interception. And then you create these matchups in the flat. And the fact that the, the matter the fact of the matter is that an inside linebacker tasked with a man coverage assignment in the open field is going to be much more likely to miss tackles than a guy who is going to plug a hole where all he has to do is really grab any piece of the guy, hold on for dear life, and there's going to be someone there very quickly to finish the tackle before he has a chance, has a chance to miss it. So it's you know this is it, it was a, it was an exceptionally bad set of circumstances. Also, you know, running back is going to be able to make a lot of people look foolish in the open field where all he's got to do is make one move to 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 juke and go. Uh, it's it it was unfortunate, but it was uh, you know it was it was the a a tough game for both of those guys. There was one of those guys that, and I have not watched the play closely enough because I can't bring myself to watch it, but on the leak out of the running back on the left side, that was just so incredibly wide open. Okay. So here's my thought. Um, James Lofton calling this game, by the way, was fantastic, but there's only two possibilities of who could have been. It could have been an inside linebacker and it could have been Jason Pierre Paul. And I think that Lofton did a good job of calling it because he said that because they had two guys blitzing and both Queen and Roquan blitzed, Roquan came like delayed. They were trying to do a cross blitz, blitz concept. So Queen was going to take one blocker out, whether it's a running back or, or whoever it might have been. And then he, uh, Roquan was cross blitzing. They've been successful with that once before. They got, they got a sack on such a play. So, you know, it, it, it made sense that that might have been the call. But then you're asking Jason Pierre-Paul to be out there. And the problem was, it wasn't just one guy. It was two guys that were out there. They were both wide open. <laughs> you know, and, you know, we'd have been angry because the Ravens would have had two guys in the same spot, but they were both wide open. <laughs> so anyway, it was it was frustrating. But I think Jason Pierre-Paul might have been the guy who was supposed to drop the coverage okay. on that play. Well, and the Ravens do this often where, you know, that delayed blitzer could have also, you know, been a green dog where when they think that he's yeah. stepping back to pass block, then they, they commit quickly and they come in. And, and if he wasn't, then that could have been Roquan's guy too. I, I haven't watched the play closely enough. Right. So who was, who was, was it hasty on that side? And so he I, left, I think it was, he leaked out. It wasn't, it wasn't the tight end, right? No, it was or, hasty. Okay. It was definitely the run. Okay. Well, it might not have been hasty, but it was definitely a running back. Okay. Oh, we'll, we'll look that up. But I, 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 I basically agree with you. The green dog is also a possibility. And that's why inside linebacker or outside linebacker on the right side, defensively, left side, offensively was the, was the position. So, well, but it was Pierre Paul. That's a terrible decision to begin with. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's not, a, it's not a great defensive back. So they, you know, they're, they're fairly aggressive. I like that about yeah. McDonald and dropping like, BK or Campbell to coverage, you know. That's true. That's true. All right. Let's talk packages because I only got like one point to make about this and then we can we can uh, uh, close out this first uh, segment of this here. Um, There's only really a couple of things. First of all, the Ravens don't even have any package variation now. They don't play any more dime. They played every single snap was either nickel or base. Now, here is the difference between the two. And I got to bring up my my stats here. Go back to my spreadsheet. Um, When they played base defense, 13 snaps. 40 yards. That's 3.1 yards per play. So a lot of that was run plays. Some of it was pass plays. But the big deal is that you're not putting a third cornerback on the field. Your base defense only has two cornerbacks. So going back to the earlier statement, having that extra lineman on the field was a was a, a pretty damn nice thing. So 13 snaps that for only 40 yards. Yeah, I, you know, what drives me nuts, especially now that you've got OA and Bowser, two guys that are particularly effective in space is that you can stay if you want to play as much zone as the Ravens played in this game 
you can stay in base and play the same zone coverages in the same terrible way that the Ravens did in this game oh. out, out, of, out of out of that package. You know, but you like, got to sign Roquan or or a safety then, and and have only cover one, or you you got to do something differently than to cover that third receiver. Correct, right? Like yeah. you got to have you got to have a guy like Oa or Bowser covering that receiver, or okay. using like using space and help and coverage. But there are ways to roll zone coverages. There are ways to protect against to know which side that the extra the extra guy is going to be on and the threat of, you know, being in your base package in those instances may not. I mean, if this is, I guess what I, where I'm going with this is that the Ravens, if they're that bad in nickel and they refuse to give help to the nickel, get worse, take the nickel defender off the field, replace him with someone else that, you know, you need to give help to and give that guy help. You know, that's essentially what they were doing with Hamilton. That they put Hamilton at slot corner, and that's exactly what they were doing. Now, Hamilton is a tremendous athlete who can help you so many different ways, including retracking a receiver certifiably off the line of scrimmage at a level that's equal to Humphrey or greater, because he's got, you know, that much longer arm, like that wingspan you really love, could do it to a, a bigger receiver, like a tight end. Um, but, but he, that's exactly what they were doing is they're basically saying, screw it. We can't find a cornerback who can play slot on this team. We're not going to put Humphrey in there when he's our best outside corner. So we're, we're going with Hamilton and, and it worked. He was playing great football. And it's, it's, it's such a shame that this was the exact point that, that he got hurt. Cause he's, uh, obviously playing great. What drove me crazy about this. There were moments where this game felt exactly like parts of the new England game, especially when mm-hmm. new England was moving on offense, when they would just target whoever the third corner was in yes. and the Ravens continue to schematically let the other team leave that guy on an Island. And instead of giving help there and leaving Humphrey or Peters or some other better player on an Island or reducing your pass rush, or I don't know any other combination of things they would continue to leave the guy that was in the worst position against often a mismatched receiver, right? And we saw that with, with Zay Jones and Stevens on the two-point conversion and not give him help when it was clear as day that that's what the other team is trying to attack in those situations. I, I think you can do that if you've only got one corner you're trying to cover for. But the problem was that Peters was having a bad game too, and and but I, you know what, I can live with that though. You know, if he gets if, burned, he gets burned. That's right. If you okay. want to, if you want to, if you want to go after Marcus Peters fifteen times a game, you're going to throw an interception. Like like it yeah. like it. It's just like that's okay. But if you're going to go after Brandon Stevens fifteen times a game, there might be a handful of incompletions. You're not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to give you a quality game. Like get, give the man some help. You know, I, I don't know. It's. <sighs> I, it, it just seemed obvious to me that that's what they were going to do in those big moments. And on third and fourth downs on the regular, they would often go after Stevens because they knew they could. Yeah. Well, I, it definitely is true. They definitely did go after Stevens and, and uh, you know, they had him out there basically on third down just to, to go over the other couple of packages briefly. They played the standard nickel 42 times in this game. That's really for the Baltimore Ravens to play the standard nickel on you know, 67% of snaps is just so weird to me that uh, this, but 42 snaps for 257, 6.1 yards per play. So a big difference from the, from the 3.1, but still, you know, you can win the game giving up 6.1 yards per game in nickel. They had six plays for 36 with a, with a rush nickel where they put somebody on the inside that include four of the drive ending plays. So that mostly was Pierre Paul on the inside. It might've been Houston once on the inside too. He's done it in other games. Uh, but it was mostly Pierre Paul in, in this game. Uh, and uh, I am with you in terms of 
really wanting to see Owe on the field in probably more situations, just period. Um, I think he's actually had had some of the more juicy pass rush that we've seen these last couple of weeks. He only mounted two pressures in this game, but the ball was out so quickly. I mean, almost nobody could get pressure in this game. So uh, anyway, I'm. I, I, yeah, I, I honestly, I, you know, it's like one of those situations where like OA and Bowser are good enough in space. Like, let them be the guy to reroute the guy off the line of scrimmage. Nobody, sure. no one's getting a press off against those two guys. Let them play that and then force the other team to make a decision, give them help over the top, and then let them press and then let them rush um, and let them be coming in. Why? I don't know. It's just the lack of. And, I, and I'm not saying any of that would have necessarily worked or made a difference. I think my frustration was that we, it just felt like there was no attempt to change like the definition of insanity kind of moment where it just felt yeah. like the same thing was happening over and over again. And I think that's the thing that bothered me the most. All right. Well, fair enough. Always great talking football with you, my friend. Uh, we'll come back for part two and I hope you guys will, will tune in for that when it, when it posts, tell folks one more time where they can find follow you on Twitter. Yep. At Raven sit room. All right. Outstanding. We'll be back for the second part of the show with Jordan. Uh, any other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit us up. Always, if you're listening or, or whatever, like, subscribe, and please write a review if you have a moment to do that. Uh, loyal listeners, uh, always highly valued in terms of doing that. If you're listening still after an hour and eight minutes, then I think you probably are a loyal listener. Thank you. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, that, really happy to be here, Ken. Not happy about the outcome, but happy to be with you. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.